after the post, someone from HR did reach out and wanted to assure me that this is not okay in their organization and they're going to look into it and that people go through extensive sexual harassment training for these types of things. And I'm thinking, well, it's obviously not working. (laughs) You know, you can't train your way out of this, right? Like people don't objectify and sexualize women or sexually harass women in the workplace because they don't know they're not supposed to. It's ridiculous to think that going through sexual harassment training, especially the watered down like vanilla version of it with HR that HR usually presents is going to stop this type of behavior. Hi friends, welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Rachel May and Keenan. Rachel's the director of sales for Keenan's a sales guy organization. Keenan is Keenan. He's the author of Gap Selling and CEO of a sales guy consulting. Now, two weeks ago, Rachel shared a story on LinkedIn about a sales call she made to the VP of sales at a company in the New York City area. And in this very brief call, she encountered the kind of casual sexism that still pervades much of the sales world, the type of behavior that men never have had to deal with and that women should never have to deal with. And Rachel, in that moment, had had enough. And her, in her courageous post on LinkedIn, she told the story of what happened in that call. And she, most importantly, she named names. She called them out. And she did all of this without first consulting her boss, which in this case is Keenan to see if it was okay. But actually, she knew it was going to be okay because she knew Keenan had her back. But that was just part of the story. We're going to talk about all of that today, and we're also going to talk about the reactions that Rachel received to her post on LinkedIn. And we'll get into what everyone can do to take a stand against the types of behaviors that Rachel and all women in sales encounter on a routine basis. So stay with us, and we'll dig into all of this and much, much more. But before we get to Rachel and Keenan, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. Thanks. All right, let's jump into it. Keenan, welcome back to the show. Rachel, welcome to the show for the first time. I got you, baby. Glad to be back. Always a pleasure to have you here. Rachel, pleasure to have you here. Thank you. Thanks for the invite, Andy. So, Keenan, it seems like you've been on endless holidays since... (laughs) <laughs> since May. Come on, man. Living my life, my terms, my way. Love it. Love it. So let's see. You you spent the summer in Manhattan Beach in the right LA area. Grand. Looking at the ocean every single morning. Perfect. And then topped it off by going to the Caribbean. Yes. Spent a week in a uh, a villa on a cliff in the Virgin Islands. St. Uh, St. John's was amazing. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Very mm-hmm. cool. Well, Rachel and I were back here in the States, sweltering in California. So, <laughs> Rachel, you're you're up in the Sacramento area, and there's lots of fire activity in that area as we're recording this. Yeah, it's, it's uh, pretty ugly out there. It basically looks like nighttime, and from, you know, morning all day long, there's just ashes falling from the sky, and, um, you know, the whole house smells like smoke, so... Um, but this is, you know, California in August, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> but the fires, the fires aren't close to your your place because I know they're they're close to Sacramento. Yeah, they're they're not too close to us, but because Sacramento is a bowl, just all the smoke from all the surrounding, like kind of Bay Area fires, um, and all the fires throughout Northern California, it just kind of settles here and sits. 
Um, so, and I mean, the whole state, the whole, all of Northern California is on fire right now. It's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's, uh, the pictures look horrible. So, all right, well, let's, let's get into this. So, um, Rachel, you were making a cold call the other day, um, and you connected with the VP of sales at a, at a company, a, a man, and what happened? Yeah, so the story is not like a, a unique one. I mean, it, it's an example really of um, the type of thing that women in sales um, are up against on a regular basis, either from prospects or their coworkers. Um, so it's really just a day in the life. But I just called this gentleman uh, to to see if there was, you know, a way that we could help him. And um, well, and just you know, his, just to be, just to be clear, you were so what what was this a sales training or or what were you selling? Yeah, I mean, just seeing if they if, if their sales team was having you know particular challenges around like their conversion rates, you know, reps hitting plan, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. long sales cycles, right? Just to see if there was an opportunity to help. I didn't get very uh, far in the call. I just you know basically said my name and uh, said you know mind if I share why I called, why I reached out, and the response I got was in a it was it was quite creepy. It was. Um, Sure. I love it when a girl with a sexy voice tries to sell me something. <laughs> it was really trippy like that. Uh, and so, uh, <laughs> I know, when I was reading your post, I just I just stopped at that point. I'm thinking, and I should know better because I've you know, been in sales for 40 years, but it's like, who talks that way? And so what at that instant what was the first thing that that went through your mind when he when you heard that from this guy? So the first thing that went to my through my mind, I, I, I there's a moment when this happens to you when you just kind of are in shock. You don't know what to do because as women, we we learn to wear armor to work and mm. um, and all of the sudden in those moments, the 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 armor is stripped away and you just kind of have this very vulnerable moment and you, you, you go through a million kind of things in your head. Do I laugh this off? So it's less awkward for both of us. Do I say thank you, even though I'm horrified and try and continue the call, right? Like all of these things run through your head, but it, I just kind of sat there in shock. Um, I think I actually made a, an audible noise like, <gasps> and then I just hung up and my, I hung up the phone and I thought, man, this guy's CEO really needs to know that this is the way he speaks to women in the workplace. Like he has a right to know this. Um, and so that's what I thought. I'm just going to call the CEO and tell him so that, you know, because look, if somebody talks, if someone is in a leadership position like that, and this is how they speak to women who are coming in contact from outside their organization, um, you know, that guy didn't wake up and decide to be a sexist jerk that that morning in that moment, right? No. There's a mentality uh, behind it yes. um, that's pervasive. And so I thought, you know, the CEO needs to know. That was my thought. And so, yeah, just thinking back to what, or harking back to what you just said is, is, yeah, it's it's when you hear about your reaction. You said you wear the armor, and you, these first thoughts went through your mind. It was like one of them, which is most shocking, yeah, you know, f- for those who don't have to live through that. As as your thought was, well, how do I make him feel more comfortable in this moment? The guy that just insulted you. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just yeah. it's, it's amazing that that <laughs> we're still 
you know, dealing with this at this point. So, so, um, it made me think when I read your post, it made me think also, so automatically is going through it. It's like, yeah, this is like what Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, went through with that Yahoo from Florida, the congressman that, that, uh, leveled all the sexist remarks at her. Yeah. I mean, I think you'd be hard pressed to find a, a woman who has not been in this type of uh, situation, you know, at least a few times, if not just kind of on a regular basis. Right. And you you go through these transitions in your career where like when you're younger, um, you you don't have any power. Right. You you haven't established a lot of credibility and expertise, you know, you, you're, you're lower generally on the totem pole within your organization. And, mm-hmm. um, and so there's a much higher level of fear attached to not tolerating this behavior or speaking out against it when you're younger. And so that you learn in your twenties, it's a skill that women learn to diffuse the situation, to make it less awkward um, for the other, not, not just for you, because you can't make it less awkward for you, but right. to literally let make it less awkward for the other person. And also there's this thing where you don't want to be that girl, right? Like there's this label of women who don't tolerate being sexualized in the workplace of like, oh, she's that girl. Don't, don't, don't invite her to drinks when all the colleagues are going out. Don't, you know, be careful what you say around her because she's, she's trouble and you don't want to be that. And so you try and like laugh it off or pretend that you didn't really know what the person meant. I mean, we have all sorts of techniques (laughs) to, um, to get us through in, in that type of environment. Yeah. Which is, you know, an experience that for, you know, a large fraction of, of male sellers just, you never encounter. So I mean, I've had awkward situations in my career, but it was more about, you know, somebody, me asking them a question and, you know, they're telling me to go get lost or something, but nothing, you know, personalized like that, that, that is just so offensive. Um, I mean, how often do you think you run across that in, or have run across it in your career? Is this, as you said, daily, weekly, monthly? I mean, I mean, in some ways you come across um, being sexualized and objectified, um, I mean, I don't know, weekly, I would say. Yeah. Um, again, it's it's more pervasive when you're younger. When, you're, when you are more established in your career, I think men like this are more fearful because they, you know, they do know that you have, you know, either a platform or, um, you know, more expertise and you're not really going to tolerate it the, the older that you get. So it, it does tend to happen less and less um, in person, right? But over the phone, they don't know. Um, and it's not just about like sexual harassment. I think we have a, bit, we have a lot of conversations about sexual harassment, mm-hmm. but we don't have a lot of conversations about just being sexualized right. and, and objectified. And what right. that does when it happens like all throughout your career on a regular basis. I just don't think that we have those types of conversations, which was the point of the post. Yeah. I mean, cause you've made this, you know, just listening to your talk and listening to your earlier comment about having to put armor on is, is, is this something that you're conscious of that could happen every time you call somebody? 
I don't know that it happens every time you call no, that somebody. You're, you're conscious of the possibility that it could. I mean, are you armoring? Are you armoring your, you know, putting your armor on for every call? Do you remember in the eighties when? <laughs> Unfortunately, um, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> remember in the eighties, there was like the power suits, and yes, women I would were. try and dress like men with the giant shoulder pads, right? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And they so they were trying to like kind of gender neutralize themselves. Um, and come to the table as men. And so the goal was to, you know, shove your femininity, femininity as much as possible into a box. And that's the armor. Right. And and so it's not even a conscious thing that you do. You just you just learn to do it because, you know, that, you know, sometimes just being too friendly or too, you know, I have a really like bubbly, fun, you know, open personality And I think that the more that you do that, the more certain men see that as like an invitation. They see it as an invitation to say whatever the heck they want to you, um, because because from their standpoint, that that bubbly, friendly, open personality is flirtation in some some way. Right. Right, Because because of some sort of sense of entitlement that they have. And so. Um, you just, you just learn, you're not even really doing it consciously. You do know it can happen at any moment. Um, but it never stops surprising you. I was just on a podcast yesterday where, um, out of the blue, the the gentleman just said, well, you know, you're a prima donna. And I was like, he said, you're talking about, (laughs) talking about this situation. No, we weren't talking about this situation. We were talking about sales. And all of a sudden it was like, well, yeah, but you were a prima donna. And I had never met this person before, before like 10 minutes before that. Hmm. Um, And so it's just, it like happens so much that sometimes you're hyper aware of it. And then sometimes you almost don't notice it at all. So what was it about this guy? (laughs) Well, I'm picturing my mind as, you know, in the New York area is probably classic. New York, New Jersey type person, not to over stereotype because they're not all that way, but there's a stereotype we all all hold in our mind is is uh yeah, I mean what what was it that said, yeah, this is different and I need to say something. You know, Andy, I think uh, it was a combination of of a few things. Number one, I think he just caught Rachel on the wrong day. Like I just had no tolerance for bullshit that day. <laughs> Yeah. So it was, it was part of, it was just the day. Right. I mean, look, no matter how long you've been doing this job, getting on the phones and making cold calls and, you know, you never know what is, how it's going to go. And so, you know, you, you got to put your game face on, you got to be courageous, you plan, you prepare and you come to the table, like ready to have great conversations. And so it's just like in that moment, it was just so, like demeaning, but it, at the end of the day, the post would never have happened. Okay. The reason that post happened was because when I called that CEO and I very politely said, Hey, I just called, you know, your VP of sales and you know, this is what happened. And I really felt like you should know. And mm-hmm. my, the response was appreciate the call click. And he hung up on me. No, yeah. Right. No, no follow up. No interest, basically. Right. No, like, oh, my goodness. Thanks for bringing me to bringing this to my attention. You know, if indeed that happened, um, you know, that that's completely unacceptable. I'm going to look into it. You know, please give me your information. Nothing. Just total blatant dismissal. And it was in that moment that I realized here I now have a CEO and a VP of sales. And 
so this is obviously a pervasive issue here. And I just in that moment thought of all the women who do speak out and who are dismissed. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was terrified to write that post. I knew that I was going to get a lot of backlash there. Um, and I, my hands were literally shaking when I did it. I can imagine. And yeah, I was terrified. Um, but I also had a little voice in my head. And that boss, that, that voice was my boss's voice. It was Keenan's voice because I've shared a million of these experiences with him. And so has Brady. We, we talk really openly about this stuff and Keenan has no tolerance for it. And he's always told me, you should speak out. You should speak out. And I remember one day I said to him, I'm afraid to say things that are controversial online. And he looked me dead in the eye and he said, don't you ever bow down to anyone. Hmm. And so the post happened because the CEO dismissed me. And the post happened because in that moment, I thought of all the other women who, you know, maybe don't have the support of their company to speak out. But I didn't have to be brave because what women fear in speaking out isn't the backlash from like sexist jerks on the internet. It's not the backlash from the person who harassed them or demeaned them. It's the backlash from their own coworkers or possibly their own employer, their boss, Mm -hmm. who will not support them. And I didn't have to be brave because I didn't ask permission. I literally posted it, texted it to Keenan and said, so this just happened. (laughs) (laughs) And I knew he would support me. And that made all the difference. So, Keenan, what, what was your reaction? No shit. Wow. Did that really happen? What a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was my reaction, too. <laughs> yeah, and I think, I think what was even more of a reaction was the CEO. I was like, I, like look, I, I'm not going to be subtle about this. I personally think, and this is, I have no evidence, and I, I, this is just anecdotal, but I think 50%, if not more, of most senior executive leaders are fucking dickwads. And they're the most politically oriented dipshits in the world. They got to their position not because they're brilliant strategists or they're brilliant leaders. They got there because they play the political game better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. They're actually able to outlast everybody else. And so I wasn't entirely surprised. But this dickhead had a complete opportunity to do exactly the right thing. Like, oh, snap. That is not how it rolls in my organization. And he didn't do it. He dismissed her, and that's what pissed me off. I, you can tell I get really irritated at shitty leadership, and I see it everywhere in companies. It drives me insane. Well, yeah, especially on stuff like this. I mean, this is this is, it's, yeah. I mean, what I found interesting is so someone on someone in all the comments about to the post, you know, did some research and said, look, they have a, a fair number of women in sales in this organization. And uh, the, that Rachel spoken to, and what I found interesting is that I don't know. I read the comments again last night. I correct me if I'm wrong, but I didn't see a single one from anybody that worked for this guy defending him. Oh, that's a great point. I bet they were all scared. I bet every single woman in that company was not going to chime in. They weren't going to say a damn word. To Rachel's point, right? To Rachel's point. They didn't feel comfortable wading in, defending him, or saying, "Hey, this shit happens here all the time." Exactly her point. If the CEO dismissed her, what do you think he would do if anybody got in and said anything on that? Wouldn't surprise me if HR sent something to every single person and said, stay away from that. Oh, I imagine they did. Yeah. So you said, Rachel, you said HR reached out to you from this company? 
Yeah. So after the post, um, someone from HR did reach out and, you know, wanted to assure me that that this is not okay in their organization and they're going to look into it and that people go through extensive, um, you know, sexual harassment training for these types of things. And I'm thinking, you know, well, it's obviously not working. <laughs> but, Clearly. Clearly, you need to take a different route, but you know you can't train your way out of this, right? Like people don't objectify and sexualize women or sexually harass women in the workplace because they don't know they're not supposed to, right? Like that's <laughs> right. It, it's ridiculous to think that that going through sexual harassment training, especially the watered down like vanilla version of it with HR that HR usually presents is is going to stop this type of behavior. The only thing that stops this type of behavior is number one, like women feeling empowered to call it out when it happens and not just the most egregious acts, right? It doesn't have to be the guy grabbed my ass. It can be, listen, I'm trying to do my job and this guy keeps talking about how sexy I am. Like that's revolting. And, um, and they just, you know, so, so calling it out and, and having women feel supported in calling out and then having zero tolerance for it. That is the only thing that's going to stop it. But yes, he reached out to tell me that the guy had went through, you know, training and, you know, that they were looking into it. So I appreciate that, but, but obviously that was a result of the post, not of my, yeah. Yeah. And, and did, uh, the gentleman question, did he, reach out to you? Yeah. So I actually did get a, a, a apology via LinkedIn message, um, something along the lines of, uh, you know, uh, apologize for the comment. That's very out of character for me. Happy to jump on a call, but, um, you know, I don't, I don't really have a response to him. No. Well, first of all, I think you should is a chicken is a chicken move not to call you. And just to do yeah. something, just to do something on LinkedIn. And I mean, at this point, in any of this type of misbehavior, does does anyone believe these are sincere apologies? Only one way <laughs> to find out. Get on the phone with them. Yeah. Well, seriously, Rach, you should take you should take them up on the call. Well, I mean, it's like, you know, this uh, broadcaster for Cincinnati Reds was in the news this morning for using a homophobic slur on the air. And the next day, post apologies. This is completely out of character for me, dude. You're 56 years old. That's completely in character for you. No one believes this apology. That's how I felt, right? I'm looking at this gentleman. I'm like, he's well, well past his his 50s. You know, easy now. Some of us are past our 50s. Well, that's fine. But I'm Hey, not me. <laughs> but I just, you know, uh, but my point is, is that is just what you said, right? Like, this is this is pervasive behavior. This is probably something that this person, you know, how he speaks on a regular basis. There was a comment on the post from uh, a gal who had interviewed with the company. And she said in the comments that she faced similar uh, comments to her during the interview process. With the same company. With the same company. And if you go to Glassdoor, people were finding, you know, taking screenshots on Glassdoor of women saying that they were discriminated against um, for their gender and, um, and, you know, sexualized in the workplace on Glassdoor. So no conversation I have with this person is going to change their minds or change their behavior. 
absolutely disagree. That's one place we're going to we're going to deviate. Right. When you, you said nothing's going to change until women speak up. Right. Well, actually, nothing's going to change until men are willing to acknowledge the culture and then accept that it's wrong. And so sometimes that has to be one conversation at a time. If you, you don't want to know how many conversations I had with one-on-one person who's a straight racist to help them get this through their little head. It, I can't stay up in the clouds and as a woman or a racist, I mean, as a black person or as a gay person, whatever the situation, up in the clouds. And then when someone, I have a chance one-on-one to have a dialogue with somebody like, I'm not doing it. You piss me off. You don't deserve it. You're not going to change. No, no, no. We all have a role. And sometimes we got to do more than we want to do and have to represent. Now, after that conversation, if they're a jerk and they're still sexist, you can walk away with your hands clean and saying, I did what I need to do. This person's a lost cause. I can see that. I can see I can see your point there. Um, it's just a lot of that, though, is also putting the responsibility on right? Like putting the responsibility on women to, to educate these men. And I just, I don't know that that's our responsibility. Well, you know, yeah, I'm sorry, but look, I don't like it, but this goes back to why nothing ever changes. This isn't about responsibility. Do we want change or do we not? And just as a brother, I can parallel, obviously our issues are different, but if every brother says, I ain't got time to talk to that white dude, he can't get it. Then you're part of the problem. I'm so yeah. Do, do I agree that logically, you know what that's like? It's like a husband and wife, they get in a huge fight. The The husband did something wrong. The wife is completely in the in the right. And she's like, well, I don't feel like I should have to say another word because he was wrong. Well, you're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> you're not, not going to get anywhere. So I agree with you, Rachel, 100%. We shouldn't have to. But if we truly care about the cause, we will. Mm-hmm. I see your point there. I see your point. I mean, I had a, I had... Uh, the whole the whole situation, you know, my inbox is full, right? And it's full of um, number one women from all over the world sharing their stories, many much more heartbreaking than this one, or telling me that you know they they have uh, printed it out and put it in their cubbies, like all over their offices and you know, that they feel more empowered to speak out. And that's wonderful. And then I've also had some men come into my um, messages and attack me. And it's the same things, right? It's, you need to have a thicker sin. You're overly sensitive. You're trying to ruin this man's life. You're doing all these. And I have engaged in those conversations. And in one conversation, Keenan, to your point, I was so moved because I, I changed this man's mind. By the end, I changed his mind. Um, which, mean, which means you've cha- you potentially have changed the mind of every man or woman he talks to moving forward. Yeah. See, that's the thing we forget, right? Like you were talking earlier, Rachel, and I'm kind of glad this was not videoed because I-, I was getting a little emotional when you described why you felt empowered. I had no clue I had that level of impact on you. I, I don't think any of us in our lives truly understand the level of impact we have on people. We're too short-sighted. So if we can start thinking about, well, I changed this one guy's mind. Now he's going to talk to his daughters or his, his, his wife or his, his son or his cousins or whatever. And he may change one of their minds. And then they may change one of their minds. 
So it's got a network effect. We, 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 we have to stop being so playing small ball and thinking, you know, what we're right to do or right not to. We have no idea how we can affect people if we have the conversations. It, well, I want to follow that thread, too, is because, uh, yeah, looking through the, the comments, I mean, I was as shocked by some of the responses that, that people gave on, on LinkedIn. Uh, and I was just sort of wondering what your reaction was to some of those. Because I, I think if you're getting these, these uh, stories from women all over the world, I think it'd be great for you to start posting on LinkedIn as well as, you know, sort of continue the, the theme. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, there's one guy, if I understood his, his, uh, his point, is he basically was comparing cold calling to like non-consensual sexual contact. <laughs> right? Yes, I'm, I'm just yes. sitting there reading I'm sitting there reading that going, what the fuck are you talking about? Um that one, I, I was wondering what your reaction was to that one. I, I know Jim, you responded to it, or Keenan, you responded to it, but it was just like, what's this person thinking? You know, I feel like it, it cracks me up because so many men that read the comments were in shock at reading the comments from other men, right? But none of no women are reading those comments and having any type of <laughs> surprise at all, right. right? So like, so like you called him, cold called him. So it's your fault. Is the same like you were wearing a short skirt, so it's your fault, or you were drinking, so it's a, your oh, fault, absolutely. or you shouldn't have went to that party because it's your fault, right? It's all. It's just. It's a way to take the blame off of men and make it the women's fault in, and that's just part of this, um, power dynamic in, in, you know, how, um, how some men treat women as they see them as, you know, fair game, right? Like you are a sexual object and therefore it is okay for me to treat you like one. And if you, if, if you call me out on it, then I'm simply going to, you know, put the onus back on you. So that's just, that's just normal dude stuff that, that women are facing all the time. So that didn't surprise me at all. Yeah. Well, the, the mansplaining was, was running rampant, uh, oh, in the comments. Brutal. I mean, it was, it Painful. was Painful. like these guys are saying like, Oh, okay. Well, gee, I think there's another way you could have handled that. You know, if it had been me, this is what I would have done. And it's like, dude, you would never, ever, ever, be in the situation, nor I'm sure have you ever experienced anything like it. Don't tell people what to do. Yeah, well, the idea of you know you should just handle this privately. You try. Um, no. you try. When no, I clearly no, you try. Don't. <laughs> yeah, I try right. to handle it privately. Um, but that that's another tactic that's like you should just handle it privately means shut your damn mouth. Right. Right. It means it, it means yeah. stay silent. And that if, but the worst of the worst, I think in the comments is the people who are saying that I'm some vengeful woman out on a rampage to ruin men's lives for no reason. Mm. Right. Like to me, that is just the most offensive thing. And again, not surprising at all. Right. I mean, you could look at like, I don't want to get political here, but you look like the Brett Kavanaugh situation, right? Mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. It's like, oh, these women, they just come out of nowhere and they wake up and all they want to do is ruin the lives of men. And I'm like, if this man is a vice president of a company and he speaks to women like that when he's on work and 
he has to has to pay a consequence or be held accountable for that. He ruined his life. I didn't ruin his life. First of all. Second of all, the idea that this man's life is going to be ruined because of this is just absurd because (laughs) men do far worse than this every single day. And they nothing's going to happen to him. Nothing's going to happen. Right. They get away with it over and over and over again. So the idea that one one woman is going to come out and and call someone out on their shit and their whole life is going to, you know, spiral for for no reason at all is just completely absurd. Yeah, I I suspect we're recording on Thursday on a Thursday. This was on a uh, Monday. Yeah, I suspect that that's yesterday's news already within that company. Mm -hmm. Sadly. Yeah, you had a bad week, I'm sure. Yeah, he's sincerely sorry, quote unquote, for that. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Keenan. So, how can other leaders take a page from your book and develop the courage to support their sellers that encounter behavior like this? I mean, it was just amazing in my mind when I was reading, this, especially learning afterwards that that Rachel did this without talking to you first, felt empowered to do it without speaking to you first, to me, just this wonderful story. So how, how do we help leaders develop the courage to stand up to this and support the people in the field who are experiencing these things? Um, people over money, for starters, people over money. We understand what, what, what makes leaders nervous about something like this is the exposure that it gets them. And they're afraid it's going to hurt their brand. They're afraid it's going to hurt something in the company that's going to therefore translate into a decline in stock price or a lawsuit or uh, anything. And it all comes down to money. And so when people are running around afraid of money um, and losing money or something like that, then they're going to put money over people. As long as you put money over people, that's what you're going to do. So, I mean, I'm sure that there are people who've read this and they're like, don't do business with a sales guy, but I couldn't give two shits. Right. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, look, I already know that I give people enough reason not to do business with me. And I, I, I'm okay with that. So, because to me, it's about, it's just, it's simply that people over money. And if you create a culture inside your organization that there is no gray line, there is no thin line. It's a, you know, it, there's just no room for the disrespecting of people and albeit race, religion, color, sexual orientation, gender, like you just just make sure that people understand there is no room for that. Then it's easy. Then it's absolutely easy. Love it. All right. Well, I appreciate both of you, Rachel, Keenan, taking the time to, to come here and, and speak about this. I wish uh, originally we were scheduled to talk about just sales, but I, this was, in my mind, so important that we need to address it and um, – We'll have you back on to talk about sales next time. So, Rachel, thank you very much. Thanks, Andy. Keenan, as always, a pleasure. Thank you, baby. Way to pick it up. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. As always, I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank Rachel May for sharing her story with us today. And I want to thank Keenan for setting an example for all other employers about how to support your people. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you could also leave us a rating or a review and let us know how we're doing, we'd certainly appreciate it. And you can do all that on your phone in less than a minute as soon as this podcast is over. So thank you for your help. And thank you again so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone. <laughs>